0: Again, everyone, welcome to another edition of Frazier and Dieter's Business Speed. I'm John Ray alongside a happy Roger Lesby. Roger, I you know, you know, why I said that, right?
1: I I am happy. (laughs) We uh, we got through April 18th, tax season is officially over. Um, We got all the extensions done yesterday. I wrote my big checks. And, uh, and now we get to be regular people again. So that's great.
0: There you go. There you go. Um, yeah, it, it's a happy day when you can get through this season. How was this season, by the way, what, relative to past seasons?
1: I, I think it was difficult because this was the first year that we didn't have an extended due date. Mm. So last year we were extended till May, 18th, May 17th. Mm-hmm. And the year before that, it was in July. And then this year they kept to us to April 15th. It actually fell on April 18th because mm-hmm. the 15th was Emancipation Day in Washington, D.C., yeah. so we got to work another weekend. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so I think it was tough from that degree in the fact that our workload was much more condensed. And, uh, and then it seems like people were just having problems uh, accessing information and gathering information. Uh, people aren't always mailed things anymore. They have to go out to sites and retrieve information, and so sometimes they have to be told to do that.
0: Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. Well, one way or the other, it's over, and we can move onward and upward uh, uh, through the rest of the year. Right? Yeah,
1: we've got extensions now, so we go. should be good.
0: There you go, awesome. Um, well, we're we're uh, we've got a great guest today, uh, Roger, uh, that you've invited. Uh, Robert Swarthout is with us. Robert, welcome. Yeah, good morning. Yeah, great, great to have you. Let's uh, start by providing a little introduction to yourself and how you're serving
2: folks out there. Yep. So I am deeply into crypto. I am working on setting up a fund. Um, the name is Teton Crypto Capital. Mm-hmm. It's going to be focused on a long-term hold strategy and um, focused on commercial use cases of cryptocurrency. So not necessarily the flashy things you might see in the news. Um, I don't care directly what the Bitcoin ticker says, but it's um, uh, something that does affect the entire market, and I spend the majority of my time each week on crypto.
0: Oh, wow. Let's let, talk a little, a little bit about your journey, mm-hmm. how you got into, uh, I guess, what led up to your interest and in, in diving into the business case for crypto. Yep.
2: So... Largely everybody in crypto has a, how'd you get into crypto story that is somewhat unique. So I have in some ways, two stories. My first story was back in 2012, late 12, early 13, I'd heard about this crazy thing called internet money of Bitcoin. And it was like, oh, you can buy this little bitty computer thing and it can like generate these free money tokens. I'm like, that sounds kind of cool. So I did that for a few months. Um, I had two little miners in our spare uh, basement bedroom. And I mined 8.2 Bitcoin and got bored with it and sold them for $82 a piece. So not the wisest thing I've ever done. <laughs> They're worth a little bit more now. Um, but but and then I kind of went on my own merry way. And then in early 2018, I was on a, a, a flight from Atlanta heading to San Francisco. I was watching CNBC and they were making fun of a particular crypto XRP. Mm-hmm. Um, literally making fun of it. You, they don't normally make fun of many things. They were calling it the banker's coin and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, well, bankers know how to make money. Maybe I want some of that banker's coin. And that was my second entry back into crypto. And since then it's been, you know, rabbit hole after rabbit hole after rabbit hole. Um, and, you know, the time has increased to, you know, I spend 30 hours a week on it at this point researching, you know, trying to figure out what the next investment might be trying to stay up on the stuff that I do have. And I've now started really focusing on just the commercial use case um, tokens that I can find because there's, you know, 18,000 of these things. You can't focus on everything.
1: Yeah, there's thousands and thousands of cryptocurrencies. I mean, there's hundreds and hundreds of exchanges. Yes.
2: Um, Yeah, I think there was recently was um, actually working on the deck for my fund. um, There's over 500 exchanges and 18,500 tokens. And there's hundreds each day being launched. I mean, it's a interesting number to share, but it doesn't really mean all that much because we could sit here and 15 minutes later, we could have radio X token and just like, it would be worth nothing until you found someone that would buy it. Then all of a sudden it'd be worth some money and you know, it'd be be one of the 18,000. So,
1: but does it imply that there'll be consolidation within the industry for sure?
2: Consolidation is an interesting question because you don't necessarily have like mergers, um, or acquisitions of these things. It's Mm -hmm. like one succeeds and another might die. Um, will there always be this like cryptocurrency dust or junk out there in the ether? Probably. Um, and there'll be, you might hold some stuff that functionally becomes illiquid because the network isn't running enough for you to actually sell it. So it's truly junk at that point. Um, and the vast majority of 18,000 are so young or, you know, just getting started that they are worth nothing effectively, even though they might have a market cap greater than zero. But at the end of the day, it's, um, you know, when I tell people that, And they asked me, like, what what should you buy? I'm like, well, I'm not answering your question because I'm not a financial advisor. But, you know, if you look at the top 10, buy into the top 10, kind of, you know, if you're going to buy four, 25% of each of the top five or four, and kind of just diversify, make a little index out of it. So, I'm going to date myself now, big time,
0: but this sounds like the pink sheets. In the old days, the pink sheets were the closely held yep. um, equities that barely traded, mm-hmm. that you there was a price every six months and it got published in the pink sheets. Mm-hmm. That's what some of these
2: sound like. They certainly act like that in yeah. some cases, um, partially because not all cryptos are listed in all exchanges. So mm-hmm. those 500 exchanges have some variety or some number, a subset of that 18,000. Some exchanges have maybe only 20 that they offer. Some will have hundreds. Um, and then there's what they call so those are centralized exchanges where you would open an account, um, you do the KYC process, all that kind of thing. Then there's um, decentralized exchanges or DEXs, is a D-E-X is the acronym. And as long as you have a wallet on the chain that that DEX runs on, you can come in and you can trade for other tokens. It acts like an exchange. It's just purely a swapping service. And that's how you can go from a well known crypto a lot of times into less known cryptos um that maybe an exchange or an exchange you can't get an account at can mm. maybe get you into. So you may pay pay a slight premium um to do that. Um or maybe not, but it's definitely um uh a, a wild, wild west right now. No regulations.
1: Mm. So, and and yet they're attempting to at least talk about regulations mm-hmm. um within the last couple months.
2: Yeah, politicians they like to talk. Um I, there's been very little action. I mean, even recently, I think like two or three weeks ago, Biden had an executive order saying, you know, we should basically work together better. Um, there was no real meat to it. Mm. Um, you know, they, there was rumor of him doing an executive order for goodness, six months. And it was always next week, next week, next week. And when it finally came out, I was like this, I'm not sure, quite sure why anyone's surprised by this. Cause this is, what is he really going to say in an executive order that adds regulation? This is a, um, I believe the Senate is the one that has to come through and kind of the Financial Services Committee have to, has to come through and add that. And who gets to regulate it is kind of like a bit of a land grab right now for regulators. The SEC, everything is a security for their hammer. Of course. Um, and they're, they're in the middle of a big lawsuit with one of the top you know, cryptos. And then there's, you know, Bitcoin is technically the only one that has clarity of the 18,000. It's considered a commodity. So the CFTC um, kind of, I guess... I wouldn't say governs it, but watches over it. And then there's a, um, then everybody else is kind of out in the cold and good or bad. The U.S. is falling behind, in my opinion, on that and needs to kind of get his act together. So regulation is important. Well, let's jump off that for a second. Um, Whether it's
0: a commodity, it's a currency, it's an equity, the regulators can argue about that, but investors need to understand the characteristics of each of those that may be inherent in cryptocurrency. I mean, which, talk about the different characteristics of those three that exist in cryptocurrency and how investors need to think about it.
2: Yeah. Investor is even a, an interesting word right now too, because it's probably more speculator than anything else because the, this is almost all speculation. There's Investing is tough because there's no like disclosures that are happening like a public stock would have. Mm-hmm. There's, you're largely having to do your own groundwork and try to figure out like, okay, who's the team that's working on this? What connections have they talked about publicly? Can you make any inferences? Did they have some connections they haven't um, announced? Uh, You know, what market are they really targeting? Does it feel like they're telling the truth? I mean, like there's a a lot of, what does your gut tell you um, Mm -hmm. going on here too? Which, you know, to a traditional finance investor probably makes them queasy. Like they, they want to see the numbers. They want to point to it and say, Hey, well, they told me these numbers. That's what I did my facts on. Um, but you know, it's, you know, a lot of times they do act like a stock in the sense that, okay, there's a set number of out, outstanding tokens and they have a price mm-hmm. very fundamentally the same. Some of these networks have a deflationary na- nature to them. Some have an inflationary and some are fixed. So on a yearly basis, there may be a network that says, okay, we're adding 3% tokens on a yearly basis. And that you can potentially get some of those by doing something in the network. Mm-hmm. Or some are deflationary, where every time a transaction happens, part of the transaction fee that is paid in that like-kind currency gets burnt or gets thrown away. Mm. Um, and then there's some that are just like um, Bitcoin, where there's never going to be more than 21 million once they're all mined in the year 2140. So we're a long ways from the end of it, but 90% of them have been mined. And the um, when you pay to do a transaction, your fees go to the people or the miners that are verifying the transaction. So it's just kind of redistributing those, those fees as a reward for doing the work.
1: And then what happens, Robert, when the U.S. government or the Chinese government uh, decides that they want to come up and create their own... Cryptocurrency, and and actually treat it as a currency, right. as opposed to a uh, as opposed to a, uh, a transaction right. or a capital asset.
2: Yep. So you're starting to hear this more and more um, in the news, at least in the crypto news. called It's called a central bank digital currency, it's a CBDC. And the you know there's last I saw there was like 80 countries testing some version of it for themselves. So it's basically. Their version of the Fed would issue a CBDC, and it would have different characteristics. Every country is probably not—we won't have 200 something unique digital currencies um, for central banks, but something along those lines, I think, will happen. Um, the country that's the furthest along is China, mm-hmm. probably not surprisingly. So, at first, people are like, "Yay! You know, we need to get rid of paper money um, and get a digital money." Well, first of all, countries—the the digital money that we have, credit cards, debit cards, works pretty well like we're not concerned that our bank accounts going to be worth more or less the next day largely like you might see in Venezuela or in these other places but and we and we're largely not a cash society um although 25% of the US is unbanked so okay there's a good chunk of people that don't have a bank account um but in China part of the worry that i have with these these central bank digital currencies is the oversight and intrusion and in privacy that they'll have. The Fed does not have access to anything that you're buying right now. The IRS Correct. is the closest that they get. And, or it was it $10,000 or above? I think you have Correct. to disclose it to the bank. So largely they're seeing no transactions or very little transactions. In like the Chinese case, they've got it down to where you're using their wallet app on your phone to go buy something at the convenience store, for instance. And they can tell that you bought a soda and a pack of gum mm-hmm. or whatever it may be. Mm, okay, lovely. And then, yes. next, and
1: then next week they may, 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 they may say, "Well, we don't want you to be able to buy soda anymore."
2: Wait, because yes, because your health score doesn't attach to your buying score, right. and now you can't use any of your money, mm. or you have a bad social score because you were yelling in public or whatever they deem bad in China. Now you can't spend your money, even unhealth related. So, like, there's a lot of risk that are being created here that I don't think people are talking about. Um, I don't see the U.S. following the Chinese model. I just, you know, we're a different country. I potentially see a a CBDC here in the U.S. that is more two-tiered, like much like the commercial banking system is now kind of happening where you would have an account at the Fed that's the retail side and then there would still be the commercial side. And, you know, had we had this back when um, stimulus checks were going out in 2020, the whole idea where they were having to contact the IRS and the IRS was basically given direct deposit into your like that worked, but kind of mm-hmm. um, like they could have, and that took weeks or months. I forget. It took a while. Um, There's if, if CBDC was in place, they could have had money in everybody's account overnight or an hour later, or, you know, something relatively short Um, that could have been, I mean, that could have been great, but also could have caused other problems. Like all of a sudden there's all this cash in society, like the next day mm. um, versus, you know, more of a rolling cash kind of hitting the system. So, there's um, lots lots moving there, but I, you know, at the end of the day, most of these tokens do not act like a like gold or a commodity. People want them to because they like that taxation, but they don't. Um, they they're not really like that. I think when regulation comes, what's going to happen is you're going to end up because you have like securities and commodities now. I think there's going to be maybe another class or two added to that. Be my guess, that says okay, one is a has commercial utility and or um, actually a utility token, just to take out the word commercial. And then another one may be a, um, uh, I hate to use speculative, and they're not going to use the word speculative, but speculative, almost like a um, casino type token. Hmm. Um, and then there could be other classes, but I think those are the two big buckets they fall into right now. Most of them are not going to be commodities like Bitcoin. So,
1: Speak to us a little bit about stable coins and, and how they operate.
2: Staple coins are interesting because they, they try to mimic, you know, whether it's U.S. dollar or euro. I think I've seen one for the yen as well, but most of them are U.S. dollar that at least I see. And the whole idea is one token equals one dollar and it barely fluctuates, but it's supposed to be on par with each other. It provides you the ability for some of these exchanges that do not have U.S. banking access to act like they're a U.S. exchange. So you'll have a bitcoin to um uh stablecoin pairing. Um so much like everything is in the stock market's paired against the US dollar. Um you would have something the biggest one is USDT or Tether, T at the end. Um and then the second biggest is USDC is in CAT. Um I personally am not a fan of the Tether one. Um they're based somewhere down in the Bahamas, Cayman somewhere like that. So they all the suspect part of banking comes along with that one. They have never done a public audit. They do their own audits and they publish those. So I'm not quite sure. That's not the definition of audit in my opinion. Um,
1: nor, nor mine. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. Um, but um, USDC is run by a company, Circle, that is based here in the U.S. and they're publicly releasing their audits. And they have treasuries and cash backing theirs one-to-one um, versus um, the Tether one. There's rumors that they there's Chinese paper behind that one, um, and stuff that you probably don't want to be backing. And they mm-hmm. and they will also turn around and buy Bitcoin to back your Tether mm-hmm. or the back of their Tether, which is interesting because every time there's a huge printing of Tether, the Bitcoin price goes up, and then they turn around, their value goes up, and they just buy more. It's like this self serving prophecy of like we can drive up the price of everything.
1: But it's sort of a similar concept to the old money market, where the money market had the one dollar value, mm-hmm. and they would try never to break the buck. They right. used to say, yep. and uh, and then that was then used as currency.
2: Yeah. Yes. Um, you know, part of what's nice about a stablecoin also is, yeah, it's it's relatively stable. I mean, you can move from one exchange to another with it um, to kind of buy a token at one that you couldn't get at another. And the value is largely there. It still runs on one of these largely, um, excuse me, back up. Um, Tether largely runs on the Ethereum network. It can run on others, but that's where the majority of its funds are at. So transferring between exchanges could cost you 40, 50 bucks. I mean, because the Ethereum gas fees are high. So there's, it's more than just a simple, oh, I'm going to pay a wire fee, which I guess in some banks can be high as well. So,
1: Well, talk to us about your new fund.
2: Yeah. So the fund is kind of an outgrowth of me trying to help people, but not being successful at helping people. So I, but hope to be successful with this fund. Um, so about a year and a half ago I had some friends reach out and like knew I was doing crypto and they're like, Hey, would you take some of our money and, and do this? I'm like, no, 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 I'm not getting in that business. Um, and I was like, let me just, um, uh, email you whenever I buy something, I told you what to buy, where you can buy it and it's on your own to do that people weren't really following through um i found and then they would ask more questions about it and like and then they circled back about 7 months ago at this point um and said oh have you considered taking money i'm like okay the reason why i said no before was i was scared of like regulation no excuse me um um uh what's uh, regulation the you know all, all the stuff that comes along disclosures with disclosures disclosures compliance and yeah. all that kind of stuff yeah I'm like, you know what? I'm saying no to something that I don't really know what I'm saying no to. Mm. Um, so, had a phone call with um, a securities attorney here in town, and like he explained that you know, under Reg D, I can kind of fall underneath all that kind of stuff and not have to um, be too concerned about things because up until 110 million of AUM, you don't really get hit with a lot of the um, the onerous pieces of it. And I'm like, okay, I, I can get on board with this. So, you know, just this week, I'm finishing signing the paperwork of legal to kind of get it all set up. Um, so sometime Q3, Q4, I'll probably be at the point where I will be calling money from investors and doing that. You know, the point of the fund is to be commercial utility focused with a three to five year horizon and probably a basket of 10 to 20 different cryptos kind of mixed in there. So,
1: and will it, will it be crypto crypto? Only or crypto only. Yes. So you wouldn't be buying any of the exchanges or anything like that?
2: No, I, I did contemplate saying we may make, um, investments in, uh, you know, equity, uh, Mm -hmm. pre IPO equity. Um, but I was like, you know, I'm going to stay focused on this. If I want to do that, I always can do a separate fund that focuses on it. It just made the, a little bit too complicated. Um, and I have some investors that are not interested in that. So I'm just kind of like, okay, let people be separate in, you know, I don't necessarily have the best deal flow for the, the equity piece. Um, so that would be probably take a little bit too much time to kind of make that worth everyone's while.
1: Yeah, so. and this would be a way for an investor who wasn't personally knowledgeable in the area mm-hmm. to, uh, to, to maybe allocate a certain percentage of their portfolio and, right. and entrust that with you.
2: Exactly. So it's, you know, the, the aim really for me running the fund is just do what I did my, for myself the last four four years. I've done pretty well. And, you know, I can't promise the future is going to be the same, but, (laughs) but the hope is to kind of just follow that same strategy and, um, kind of execute on that. So
1: past performances are not indicative. indicative. (laughs)
2: Yes. (laughs) There you go. Now the lawyers are
0: happy, right? right. Um, well let's, let's talk about what people ought to think about is if, if they want to and I won't call them investors or speculators. Let's mm-hmm. just say buyers. Yep. Um, if, if buyers of your fund, I can see how they would want to invest with you because they don't know what, which, what's what, and mm-hmm. how to deal in this market. But what should they think about in terms of allocation of their assets? Um, you know, return expectations, volatility yeah. expectations. What, yeah. what what guidance would you
2: give? Uh, Percentage of the portfolio, they got to talk to their financial advisor about that. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I kind of use the analogy that if somebody puts 1% or 2% in and it goes to zero, you're probably not going to notice. Right. Um, if it does what we think it can do, then you probably will notice a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, the aim of the fund is 4 to 600% return. Um, that, that is what I've experienced. So that's kind of, I'm just moving that goal forward and kind of feel like I can do that again um, with the same strategy. And relatively the same risk. Um, I think the risk on crypto are diminishing over time because as it becomes less and less of a nascent asset class. And, you know, if we can get regulations, I think the risk come down a, a decent amount. Um, and I forget, what was your last question? The, the volatility. The volatility, yes. Right. Yeah, I mean, volatility in crypto is is unlike many other markets. Um, <laughs> it You know, when, P, when the stock market's down 2 or 3%, the news media is all over it. Right. Crypto, you wouldn't get out of bed for 3%. Um, you know, a, the equivalent in crypto is probably 10 to 20% in a day. Um, and it can go either direction. Obviously, the downs are more violent than the ups typically. And, you know, in general, the equities market follows a, you know, most of the time it's up. It's slowly going up into the right. You know, there's down years, but typically up. Crypto is a little bit different. It has followed a largely up for a year, down for three year cycle. So it's almost flip of the equities market, um, and those cycles are lengthening. So okay, that's good. So maybe it's modulating a little bit the the highs and lows. But you know, with no regulation in place currently in the U.S., there's no institutional capital that is really hitting the market. You see some hedge funds talk about doing things from time to time. You're starting to hear some of the big banks setting up trading desks. You know. To me, they've been doing it probably a little bit. Long. Well, maybe not the banks, but the hedge funds have been doing it a lot longer than I've talked about it. Um, and you know, the banks. You know, Jamie Dimon I think is number one um, uh, crypto um, enemy, um, but in Warren, Warren Buffett's actually probably fighting for that first place position. But it's um, it, you know th- times are changing. I people used to think, oh, this is only drug money and illegal stuff happens, and then on a percentage basis at least the studies that I've read more happens in fiat on a percentage basis on a, certainly on an absolute basis, but on a percentage basis in fiat than it does in crypto. But we have politicians that talk about the negatives, um, because <laughs> you know, agendas, um, well, and what's
0: unknown, right? I mean, what's right? unknown is always, uh, it, the, the, the dangers
2: of it are always inflated. Yeah, exactly. And it's, you know, there's the parts about crypto that you better know what you're doing or you're going to lose some money potentially. Um, there's no, I forgot my password link that can be sent to you to reset your password. I mean, it is gone. Um, and largely, it's since it's borderless, um, it can be anywhere in the world that you got stolen from, and your local sheriff's office or police office has no idea what to do. Mm. Um, and I've even heard of cases people getting like $100,000 stolen, and the FBI does not care. Um, wow. Probably because there's bigger numbers happening and they're trying to figure it out. A big misnomer, though, is people are like, oh, People like doing bad things with crypto because it's anonymous. And there are some networks that are truly anonymous, but most of them are pseudo anonymous. And the thing is, is there's enough software being built now to kind of map identities to it or map pseudo identities to it. And you might be anonymous and be able to do stuff within the blockchain system. But anytime you need to go to a fiat system somewhere, that's where you're going to get caught. I mean, that's where they're putting, I mean, that's where the rails are at now and and the fences. So, they can um they'll catch you there and it, the FBI has said publicly that they like it when criminals use a public blockchain because everything's recorded they can't erase it and they 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 can come back and they can kind of prove the steps later so there you go yeah
0: so what are some of the details for folks that are interested in the fund mm-hmm. um, you have to be a, an accredited investor uh, you know the 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 investment uh,
2: sizes what give some details there yep so the Yes, on in the credit investor piece, um, and the minimum size is fifty thousand, and you know it's an evergreen fund, so you can put money in on a monthly basis if you choose, and you will have redemption rights, um, you know, with with some notice um, mm-hmm. is part of the fund. So yeah, it's. Relatively simple is my, you know, into full disclosure, my first time doing a fund. So I've been learning a lot along the way. Um, I've been enjoying that and it's, um it's not rocket science I've learned, um, mm-hmm. but it's, you know, there's things that have to be cared about. And, you know, just this last week, I found out how I'm going to do statements and kind of help do, um, or this would be the nav statements and help kind of make investors feel a little bit uh, more secure about what they're doing. So
1: and you have a four- to six-year horizon on the fund? Or?
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think in the documents, this is three to five, but you know, with manager discretion, it's interesting to say there's a horizon on the fund with it being evergreen. Um, yes, I, yes. <laughs> um,
1: it's kind of counterintuitive.
2: Counterintuitive, but the, the years that are kind of being called out there is more so to help set expectations on how long this this cycle might take. Right. Um I I foresee this thing kind of going on longer than that, you know, but it's a, um, you know, crypto's got its cycles. I, like I was mentioning, when, when regulation comes in, does it change the cycles? Potentially. Um, That to me, that is in some weird ways, a risk um, of regulation coming in as it changes my expectation of the cycles. Um, But there's so much money that could come in at that point. Maybe that it, you know, it does change the cycles, but no one cares because it's, it's just good. Yeah, um, but
1: there's some benefit to closing out a fund so that you have documented yes. performance returns. Absolutely. And then creating a second fund.
2: Absolutely. So it's a um, it's a learning process and I've been enjoying it so far. Wow. Very interesting.
0: Uh, Robert Swarthout, Swarthout is with us, folks, and he is um, with Teton Crypto Capital, which is a uh, a cryptocurrency investment management company and a uh, soon to be fund um so Roger I'm fascinated by all this I guess the I've got a question kind of for you as well talk about what folks need to know about the tax part of this okay <laughs> <laughs> because the, the and particularly those folks that are walking around with their phone using their phone for Small transactions. I, I hear they may have a surprise about how that works, tax-wise.
1: Well, there there is a surprise. The yeah. the, the tax reporting is uh, is very convoluted and, and very very tough, uh, to say the least. Part of the problem is is that cryptocurrency is not treated as currency. It's actually treated as an an, an asset, and uh, so every time that I Every time that I trade or every time that I spend cryptocurrency, I've actually made a transaction. Mm-hmm. And so I've got, a, uh, I've got a buy and a sell that it has to be reported on my tax return. Now, if I'm with the U.S. exchanges, uh, the biggest one I think out there is Coinbase. I can go through Coinbase, and they're tracking my basis, and they can give me all of my uh, transactions. Um, and, and we've had to ask clients to go ahead and do that. mm mm-hmm. Uh, there's questions about whether we need to report as a foreign bank account because crypto is everywhere. It's not a U.S. account, mm-hmm. uh, and so they're trying to come up with regulations that will make that clear for folks. Mm. Uh, as a precautionary measure, we've treated it as foreign, and we have filed the F bars, and we mainly did that because the penalties for not filing an F bar start at $10,000, mm-hmm. and so it was just easier to report it than to not. Right. But you've got an awful lot of people um, that are out there that don't have any idea of what the tax reporting requirements are. Uh, Fortunately, a lot of the younger folks are are under a $10,000 U.S. threshold, Mm. and so some of these things might not come about. But uh, the IRS has been attacking this the way they did with the foreign bank accounts, and that's what John Doe summons Mm and uh coming to people and and then sending out the love letters <laughs> saying uh Roger uh you 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 may need to amend your tax returns because we have evidence that you've uh, done all of these transactions mm. and uh and so that's what people are looking at
2: yeah and it's it's even more complicated because if you're only buying and selling on Coinbase yes they can they know your basis they know all the stuff but if you start doing stuff across exchanges or transferring between exchanges they do not know so there's software to kind of help pull all that together and kind of make the documents or the right. different forms needed for your tax. And, and then
1: Robert said he started out and he was actually a miner. I didn't yeah. know that. That's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, but the miners actually are creating and get rewarded uh, in Bitcoin or other types of crypto. And then that becomes income. Mm -hmm. It's actually self-employment income for them. Oh, wow. Uh, And so they have to report that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, so whether that was being done or not, especially dating all the way back to the – because they've been around, what, 10 or 15 years now –
0: Sounds like you better have your CPA firm help you with documentation. Well, they—they they,
1: they, they, <laughs> they, believe me, Mike. My, my clients have got to, you know, they, they've got to manage this themselves. And, mm-hmm. and you know, I have some clients that have got millions of dollars in crypto, and and they're pretty astute. Uh, they know what they're doing. I'm really more worried about the smaller guy, right? Uh, who might have even started out with just a, a minor investment, but because of the prices now, that investment is a little more significant
0: that investment they made through venmo or paypals turned into something great <laughs> right? yeah. yeah well what what i'm curious about the you obviously don't know what the tax um situation on your funds going to be cuz it depends on the investments and that yeah. you or the, the buying you do and that kind of thing but talk about what you anticipate
2: yeah, that would I be mean, you know there'll be a k1 issued to all the lps mm mm-hmm. mhm it's a, um, the intent is to buy and holds so to get long-term treatment on this stuff. Um, if, you know, the, the, I remember reading the PPM and saying the tax, um, treatment on this could change. Um, there you go. and, and it, you know, it's currently long-term. So, well, it would be long-term capital gains, but I wouldn't put it past the IRS and or regulations to come in and kind of end up with a different taxation structure for this stuff. Good and bad. Right now it's relatively simple. I mean, it's short and long-term capital gains okay but good there's still gray areas but like it's relatively simple but it could become more complicated it could be like transactional things are done and they put definitions around transactional for like buying and selling of goods which really doesn't happen because everyone's scared that the stuff that they spent it on tomorrow's gonna be worth double no one wants to go spend ten dollars a bitcoin on a starbucks to find out that tomorrow it's worth fifteen dollars an even
1: more expensive cup of coffee. Yes. yes, yeah. <laughs> <That's> right. <Yeah. laughs>
2: wow.
0: A lot to think about um, and a good reason to have a professional uh, to help you out. Uh, uh, Robert Swarthout is with us, folks. Teton Crypto Capital. Uh, wow, Roger, this has been great. We could go on for a while.
1: Well, I'm always pleased to get educated from Robert. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, every time I get to talk to him, I, I learn even more. So that's been a great thing.
0: And we, did, we need to do a quick Barry shout out, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Robert is uh, a trustee at Barry
2: College. I am, yes. Yeah. He'll spend some time with Roger up there. That's
1: there right. you go. So, so one day, uh, Robert's going to make a gift of cryptocurrency to Barry College, and we're going to have to figure out how to accept it.
0: I yeah. love it. I love it. Yeah. Something tells me they'll figure it out, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, Robert, this has been great, and we really are grateful to you for coming on and educating us and our listeners. Um, for those that would like more information,
2: would like to get in touch, tell them how they can do that. Um, just shoot me an email at robert at com, and we can have a conversation. And your fund is going to open when? <laughs> great question. Um, <laughs> when the attorneys say Well, <laughs> the, the attorneys are basically starting to give me the green light to this point. Okay. Um, I could, I, at this point, I could circulate documents so people could uh, see things. I It's at the end of the day, I don't feel like now is the right time to buy. I don't feel like now is the right time to take cash from investors because they're not going to pay to you know, have me hold cash for them. My guess is Q3 or Q4 would be a little bit better timing.
0: Got it. Got it. Robert Swarthout is with us, folks, has been with us. Uh, Teton Crypto Capital. Robert, this has been fun and informative. Thank yeah. you.
2: I appreciate that. Absolutely.
0: Um, folks, just a quick reminder that Business Beat is brought to you by Frazier and Dieter. Uh, Frazier and Dieter has just been recognized now for the second year in a row as a top 50 accounting firm. The firm provides a wide range of tax audit, accounting, and advisory services to help the emerging needs of clients as they evolve. Frazier and Dieter's brand promise is investing in relationships to make a difference. Roger, another great show.
1: Well, thank you, John. I certainly enjoyed it. Yeah. Robert, thank you for being our guest. Thank you.
0: Yeah, thanks, Robert. And folks, uh, for Roger Lesby, I'm John Ray. Join us next time here on Frazier and Dieter's Business Beat.